Welcome to the Audio Conference for Pastors. This episode is an archived broadcast with our host, Bobby Gilstrap. Bobby is a former pastor, church starter, director of missions, and now the lead missionary and executive director for the Baptist State Convention of Michigan. Now, let's join Bobby and his guests for this archived edition of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Welcome to our bonus audio conference for pastors on how do you know if questions for church planters. My name is Bobby Gilstrap and I'm the host for today's conference and today's conference guest is Adam Davis, the lead pastor for Elevate Church in Monroe, Michigan. Adam, we are so glad to have you joining us today and we want to welcome you to our audio conference for pastors. Well, thanks Bobby. I'm excited to be a part of it. Well, today we're going to answer five questions, uh, and as we do, we want to ask you these questions and get your perspective. Uh, how do you know if you have enough time, people, money, momentum, and community awareness to launch your new church? Basically, we want to find out what has worked for you and your experience. And Adam, before we jump into those questions, I want to ask for you to just kind of briefly tell us about your church starting journey, and uh, then we'll jump right into the questions. But tell us about how you got where you are now, uh, so we'll have an understanding of your context. That'd be great, Bobby. I started out uh, 2004 as a missionary, and I was a missionary to Russia. I got to do a lot of help with uh, brand-new church plants in small villages and in big cities. I did a lot of coaching with pastors kind of thing, Um, just kind of by default. There was really nobody in Russia doing that kind of stuff, and we got to do some of that. And then I I stumbled into an awesome position with uh, John Maxwell's uh, Equip, which the goal was to train a million leaders by 2008. I was part of that. I was a country coordinator and an associate trainer, so I was training um, training leaders in Russia according to the John Maxwell uh, curriculum that he developed for Equip. And then uh, in that process, I basically felt compelled to come plant a church in Monroe, didn't know why at first. And as I started studying the demographics, I really saw that there was not a church like what we were going to plant in Monroe. And Monroe is a city of, uh, the actual city is about 23,000, but the municipalities that are around it, add up to about 50,000 people, uh, 50, 55,000 people. And our target audience was, uh, you know, the postmodern, obviously, um, young. I'm a 30, 34-year-old uh, pastor, and uh, we appeal to a lot of people that are under 40, which are, as you know, Bobby, the least likely to attend church at all. So we uh, launched uh, March 29th of just 2009, just a few months ago, and we launched with 364 people. And we have about 150 to 200 people attending weekly right now. Uh, of course, summertime is fun to get through for any church, uh, any church established or, or new. And we're heading into fall and expect to be uh, at the 250 mark by the end of the year, regular attendance. That's awesome. Thank you, Adam, for sharing that with us. That helps us kind of understand where you are and where you're coming from. Let's jump into our five questions, and you can share with us more about the Elevate Church plant and uh, how God's worked there. Um, Let's just start with question number one. How how do you know that you have enough time to launch your new church? And I want you to personalize this for us, if you will, because uh, you guys have just launched not uh, not long, too long ago, and you've had to look and evaluate uh, did I have enough time to be able to launch this church? How did you know that you had enough time? Well, that, that's a great question, uh, I think, Bobby. I, I think this is one of the key. Out of all five, I think this one is, is a really important one. There's a lot of pressure for planters to jump in and plant quickly. 
And when I first had my target date, I, I didn't have all the the facts and everything, but I, I still was planning on um, like uh, the first of the year, 2009, or the end of 2008, and I moved to Monroe in August 2007. And even with that, we ended up, we ended up extending that into March uh, for various reasons, one of which is uh, wintertime is not a good time to launch in South uh, southeast Michigan because you'll put a lot of money and effort into one day and if you get a good snowstorm you're done so uh, you shouldn't shouldn't do that so we, we went later in the spring went closer to Easter and uh, maybe I'll talk about that uh, a little bit later but uh, we when I got here uh, I had some other church planning friends when I told them my, my plan they said you cannot sustain momentum for that long don't don't try to do that plant quicker uh, you know, uh, and, and these things, and there's guys like um, Nelson Searcy. We love Nelson Searcy. We use a lot of his systems. He's a systems genius, we believe, and we plug in a lot of his systems uh, at, at Elevate Church. And he, you know, he says launch within six months. Don't wait. And and I respected all that advice, but I, I just felt like that wasn't for me. Um, I personally went through a process as a planter before I even got to Monroe, and even once I did get to Monroe. I went through and, and I went to back to discover some of the basics of the faith because I wanted to make sure if I was going to plant a church, I was going to take the time to understand why I believed what I believed. I didn't want to plant a church based on assumptions that I had learned from other people, even people that I love and respect. So, so I dug back into soteriology. What do I believe about how people get saved? And what does the Bible say? And I dug into my newology. Uh, you know, what, what do I believe about the Holy Spirit and how he moves and how he tra- changes hearts and empowers us for witness and the gifts uh, uh, to, to be witnesses? And, and I, I, even, even atonement theory, I, I dug into a lot of these things. And some planners may have those things settled already. I, I, had, them, I had them settled, and I found out that I landed pretty much in the same place that I had been before I started that exploration. But you need time as a, as a lead planter to really dig into some of these kinds of things uh, on a, just philosophically and, and know that you're planning a church based on what you really believe and not a Sunday school answer from somebody else. Um, but and, and for you, let me interrupt you a second, but for yeah. you, especially with this being your first church plant, you felt like that was critical for you to make sure you were firmly planted on what you understood, you believed, and not just taking from the latest, greatest book. Absolutely, and I, I dug. I dug into church history. I dug into what what the you know what Billy Graham believes. What, what a lot of different people uh, that I love and respect. I, I dug into what they believe and, and took from that. But I found out there was more than one atonement theory. All I knew is there was Jesus paid it all. And I found out there was three or four other atonement theories that actually have great great backup in, in, in Scripture. They're backed by Scripture, and they're, they, now they affect the way I teach on a Sunday. I try to give a more complete um, a picture of what Jesus did on the cross rather than just paid it all. And that's important that he paid it all, and the substitutionary theory is very important, but there's also some other very important theories that, that play into that. And, and for me, that was, that was a huge discovery and, and, and changed the way I, I look at things. So I, I would say right away, where is the lead planter in the process of having a clear vision and clear uh, philosophy of how this church is going to be planted right off the bat? Um, and then the next thing I would say is systems. There has to be some systems in place, and, and you have time to put systems in place. And 
Um, do you know what systems need to be in place? We, we feel like there needs to be systems in place to do three things, and there's more than, more than uh, one system for each thing, but uh, that depends on the church and the philosophy. But there needs to be systems in place to reach people. There needs to be systems in place to keep people, and there needs to be systems in place to teach people. And not just teach people the Word of God, you have to teach people uh, the systems that you've already are putting in because those people are going to run your systems. You're not going to run your systems if you want to launch large. Uh, if you don't want to launch, launch large, you can run every system and preach and sing and do the whole thing. But if you want to launch, launch large, then you need to have people in place to run those systems. So reach them, keep them, and teach them. Systems that will do all of those things um, are, were important as well. And you need time to do that. Um, uh, another thing that we, we, we discovered is uh, the shortest distance between two points is not free will of other people. But when you want to bring other people along with you to, uh, to the launch, if you're in pre-launch phase, if you want to bring other people along with you, you've got to take your time and they're going to they're gonna need to uh, immerse themselves in the vision, and nobody's going to understand the vision like you as the lead planner or if you're the, the planning team. You think about this all day long, every day. The best people around you are probably only thinking about it three or four times a week, five times a week maybe. And so you, you can't expect them to learn as fast as you. You can't expect them to... to to understand the vision as, as deep as you, but they need to understand their part and they need to understand enough of the vision that it motivates them to move to action and it motivates them to want to talk about it to other, other people. So uh, the, the whole point of the, the whole idea is not just to get from point A to point B, but to bring people along with you. And if you start taking into, the, into a factor their, uh, their decision making, and the fact that they need some time to understand the vision and be able to reproduce the vision, that takes time. Uh, it took us maybe two or three years to understand, maybe our lifetime to understand the vision uh, where, of where we want to take this church plant. And sometimes we expect the people that we're teaching to get it in 10 minutes, and that, that's just not a fair, fair assessment. So a couple questions that I would ask uh, about if I was planning a church again, I would want to know these, these couple questions. And the questions are, uh, do I have systems in place to reach them, keep them, and teach them? Are those systems in place? Uh, at Elevate, we designed systems from the very beginning to break the 250 barrier right out of the gate. And, and, and that was very helpful. Uh, so I would ask myself if I have enough time to implement these systems. And then uh, the next thing I would, I would ask myself is do I have enough time to bring these other people along? It can't be just my pace. It has to be their pace. And I can, I can, I can push them a little bit. I can, I can bring them along a little quicker than maybe they would go on their own if you're, you know, if you're as the leader. But you've you got to have enough time to do those two things. Very good. Well, tell you what, we might come back to some of these issues relative to time as we move, but we do want to move on to our other four questions. Uh, and so much of this really does tie all together uh, without any question. But the, the critical point is what, what do you need to make sure is in place before you launch uh, to make sure you're, you're ready? So let's ask the second question. How do you know if you have enough people to be able to launch your new church? Um, I think this is, again, the, the, all, the, all the questions, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you – you produced those, Bob. You did a great job. These are these are really good questions. I, I wish I would have had some kind of podcast about this before I, I planted, frankly. But uh, 
people are what drives your systems, obviously. And so you need, you need people in place uh, to do two things. You need people in place to man the systems, to, to take the systems and run them. And I, we have a saying around here at Elevate that smart people create systems that anybody can run. And so you plug people in that, that can run that system, and they, if, they've got a, if they're faithful, they can pretty much do it, and they're teachable just a little bit. You can teach them to run a system if you've got a good system. And then you need people to create a crowd. I think it's Rick Warren. Rick Warren's the one, I believe, that says it's easier to, create, to turn a crowd into a church than a church into a crowd. And so um, if you can gather a crowd uh, first, or as you go along here, you're, it's going to be it's going to be easier for you to launch large and uh, and have a healthy, successful um, start. So it helped us to understand the core, committed crowd concept. Um, I think it's in Purpose Driven Church. It's probably all over the place at this point, and most people have heard of core, committed, and crowd. So for us to understand that was was very important. I'll tell you, our launch team was only 25 adults. Uh, not a huge launch team, frankly. And our biggest sneak peek service was 62 before we launched. But what we did is we had another church that came alongside us, helped us fill some uh, volunteer spots, about 18 or 20 volunteer spots that first day. And for the next few weeks, we had about 10 uh, people uh, from that church coming in and helping us uh, fill volunteer spots. Now, our people were the ones running the systems, and the church that I'm talking about is Cedar Creek in Toledo. They came alongside us, and, and they're very successful at everything they do. And these people that were coming from Cedar Creek could probably have ran the systems for us, but that wouldn't have helped our people learn and grow. So our people were running the systems, and they just came and plugged themselves in. And uh, we, I mean, we had people on their executive team that were out in the parking lot helping helping you know people in the parking lot. So we we needed people to help do that. The other thing you need to do is you need you need people to create a crowd. So um, for each person, I think they have a different goal. Our goal was to was to launch with at least 250, and the the percentages say if you keep half, you're doing well. So uh, 250 and 125 was our goal, and we we pretty much did uh, 350 plus, and we kept you know uh, about half of that, 180 uh, or so. So um, we hit those marks, and for each person, I, I think whatever your goal is, the number of people that run systems and the number of people that kind of fill seats will change, but you need people to fill seats and you need people uh, to run systems. And so what we did is uh, for launch, we had about 50 people from out of town that came came and helped us uh, they, just to support us, and they, they filled seats for a while, and uh, you know, well, that Sunday, and that, that helped create a crowd. So we knew going in, we knew going in we would have, we would, we would launch with at least 100, 125 if nobody responded from our marketing, if nobody responded from our personal invites, we knew that we would have a decent-sized crowd without any of the onlookers. And so uh, I think each person, each, each planner needs to assess and say, what kind of venue do I have to build momentum? Uh, what kind of venue do I have uh, to be able to hold people? And then what do I need, how many people do I need to help fill these seats? And then invite other churches to send some people. A friend of mine that, that planted out in Iowa, pretty successful plant, and he's running he's two years along, and he's, he's about 250 uh, every weekend now. He had a mother church, and so he was a daughter church, which is different from my situation, but he, he had a mother church, and they sent people uh, every week, a different group of 25 
uh, people would come, so 100 people, but every week you had one week where you came to this church plant and every month, once a month, and you helped serve and you helped fill seats. For his first well, year, they did this. Let me, let, let, me, let me kind of digest into a nutshell real quick. Okay. Um, because what I think I hear you saying, and, and we need to move on to other questions. We've got less than 15 minutes for the next three. So, wow. uh, but, but in a nutshell, basically what you're, you're, you're not saying there's a, a certain number, uh, an exact number. You need 25 or 30 or 40 people. What you're saying is, is when you have your systems designed and you have things in place that you know need to be done, then you need your people connected. You need enough people to run that. And initially, you used what I call a task force. You had a, a task force come from another church, other volunteers that came alongside you, but your people were the ones running those systems, and the task force came alongside to make sure you had enough depth to make sure it happened initially. But then as you're reaching people on the launch, you're bringing people in and incorporating them into some of those supportive roles uh, to keep them involved. But But what you're... Your advice is, if I hear you right, is the way you know you have enough people to launch is you've got enough people to staff those critical ministries and systems within that church on the day it launches. Absolutely. That and then, okay. and then some seat fillers. Right, right. And, and that's part of it. That's part of it, to, to fill that in without any doubt. Okay, let's go on to the next question. How do you know if you have enough money to launch your new church? Well, I don't know if anybody ever has enough money. So, uh, but... Uh, but that, that again is a pretty subjective, depending on your individual situation. I would say you need to start with your cost. You need to have a really strong sense of what your costs are going to be maybe in that first year. And if you're in pre-launch, uh, what does that look like for you? I, I came from a different situation. I was a missionary, so I had a network of people that were supporting me personally. And, uh, so my, my, my personal income was taken care of. And then we did a capital campaign with Using all the network of people that we knew, and we raised about another eight or ten thousand dollars that helped us get, you know, some facility rental early on. It helped us get some signage and some things like that. And then as we moved towards the launch, uh, again we had some help from a, another church, Cedar Creek, and they gave us uh, ten thousand dollars for marketing and for just startup costs. And so for us, we were able to do that, but we were really streamlined. A lot of people want to go out and raise like $100,000 all up front, and that might be the way uh, to do it for, for that person, that planter, and they need to decide that. Salaries, they may have to cover salaries. Um, you need to know what you're gonna, who you're going to pay and what you're going to pay them and what you expect those people to do. Um, you need to know your startup costs. Again, signs, banners, projectors, sound equipment. Uh, facility, and then your weekly operations, your facilities, if you're going to have an office, what's it cost you week in and week out um, to operate, and then you need to have a plan for marketing and a budget for marketing. Uh, if you're not, if you're leading, if you're leading a church and you're not marketing, uh, I'd love for people to call me and talk to me because I, I, I would, I'd, I'd just shake them and say, you, you got to market. I mean, I think that was well, and, integral. And let's address that a little bit more when we talk about community awareness because that's what you're, that's what you're talking about with that, without any question. Absolutely. Let me ask you uh, a, a kind of a, a reverse question on the money issue. In, in your situation, launching Elevate, what would have been the red flag for you, money-wise, that would have said we can't launch when we plan to launch? What would have kept you from doing it? Well, for us, we we originally put together a budget of five thousand to market, and 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 for 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 us personally, it was the marketing budget. 
Once we okay. once we had that we once we had secured once Cedar Creek told us they first told us actually we're going to give you five thousand and they came back they visited a service said hey we're going to double it we're going to give you ten thousand once we knew we had that we were we were set but I had already preset my own personal income so I wasn't working a another job now it, it wasn't a big income but it was enough to take care of my family right. until the launch but for me the so big red flag would have been I was going to say basically then having enough money to do what you felt in your context was enough to raise the awareness through the marketing, that would have been the deal killer. If you if you had not seen that happen, even though your personal support was there, if you didn't have enough to be able to adequately get the community aware you were there, you would have probably postponed a while until you could have had that. That would have been the deal killer for you. That would have been the deal that would have been the deal killer. Exactly. Money. So Money. That that okay. that on the marketing money, and then we had three weeks of facility rental set. That was all the buffer we had, and then of course that generated a group of people who were now giving. Right, right, and and, and that's that's uh, it's like I've said for years and years and years. The resources are in the harvest. And don't get too too wrapped up about things because the resources in the harvest. If you're reaching the harvest, God's going to provide. There, there's no question. So, That's right on. And now, right now, we're we're covering our operations cost every week by ourselves. We are covering my salary, which uh, you know we've streamlined it to make sure we can't afford it. But my salary, and we are able to partially pay two other salaries, and then everybody else has to get their own support. So our operations cost and some of our salaries are taken care of four months in. That's pretty incredible, usually with church plants. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, let's go to the next question. How do you know if you have enough momentum to launch your new church? Uh, the, the key question for momentum is, are people excited enough to take action? Are people excited enough to take action? That will tell you about momentum. And momentum is just an amazing, amazing thing because when you have momentum, obstacles, you'll just blow right through obstacles. But when you don't have momentum, you hit obstacles and it knocks you on, on your tush, unfortunately. But momentum is, is, a, is a huge deal. And I believe that uh, if, you're gonna, if you're called to be a lead church planter, you have to become a master at managing Momentum, and I heard Andy Stanley say some things that generate momentum. Um, uh, things that are new generate momentum. Things that are improved generate momentum. And if somebody comes and knows that you're going to continually improve on your worship service, uh, on how you reach the lost, on how you affect the community, if they know that you're dedicated to constantly improving, um, that will generate momentum. So to generate momentum, new, improved, improving was something I heard um, Andy Stanley saying. It stuck with me and it proved out uh, in my experience. Uh, momentum comes in waves, so we should always be prepping to catch the next wave. When you feel momentum is high, there's two things you need to do. You've got you to grab onto that momentum and you've got to ride it until there is no more momentum. But at the same time, you're prepping your people to jump on the next wave of Momentum, and sometimes we have to uh, generate momentum, and sometimes things around us generate momentum. But we just have to be able to recognize those things and uh, capitalize on, on those things. I think I think it's okay uh, for me early on. I, I would get real leery and almost concerned when when momentum would drop a little bit because I just wanted it to be like high momentum all the time, and that's just not going to happen. It's okay to let let there be lower times of momentum. Just let it stay there. If, it's, if, if you have low momentum two or three Sundays in a row, you need to change something. You need to have a meeting with your key people and, do, and, and change, uh, change something and, and something to generate uh, momentum. Uh, 
I, I think the other thing with momentum is is don't let yourself get too high or too low with the momentum changes. When 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 momentum goes low, don't let your emotions get too low. It'll it'll make you want to quit and give up at some point, and you don't want to do that. And don't let it get too high. You'll feel like uh, I used to play basketball. I played basketball in college, and a coach told me you're never as good as your best game, and you're never as bad as your worst game. So uh, you know, kind of manage that. And, and, and uh, an idea is track and field athletes, they time their training to be at their peak during major events. World Championships and Olympics, they're at their peak. And you want to actually look at your calendar and see certain things and manage momentum so that your, your peak momentum happens. It, it coincides at certain times that will bring growth. Your launch itself will bring growth. So how can you manage that, build on that, and capitalize the, the, the momentum that a launch is going to bring and, and, then, and then ride that thing all the way through and, and to maximize that, that wave of momentum, if you will. We, we actually, a lot of people say launch on Easter. I would give advice not to. I mean, just our personal experience, we launched three weeks before Easter, and because of that, we had like a month long of momentum building up to Easter and the week after Easter that uh, we capitalized on by launching a few weeks before Easter. And, and I know that Easter comes at different times in the year, and that may be possible, may not be. But the key question to know if you have enough momentum is are people excited enough to take action? Are your people excited enough to take action serving? Are your people excited enough um, to tell other people? And then when other people are visiting, uh, are they excited when, when they come there? And you'll be able to see uh, from that, That'll give you the the feedback that you need about momentum. Well, and I, I like the the tying that into action or the excited enough to to take action because that is important. Now we're down to about three and a half minutes, which is not near enough to talk about question number five. We need a whole another half hour, but uh, <laughs> let's let's do what damage we can at this point. Okay, uh, how do you know if you have enough community awareness to launch your church? Give uh, give us some some rules. Okay, two things: marketing. And uh, your community outreach. What are you doing in the community? So marketing, we did TV, radio, mailers, billboards. In different contexts, different things work well, and you need to explore that. Uh, we, we got the biggest response from our mailers and our billboards. Um, and we spent, we spent you know, almost $8,000 just in marketing, so I understand that's, that's quite a bit. I don't know if everybody gets a budget like that, but um, that, that was one of the things. In, in, here's, here's how you'll know. Here, in a nutshell, You'll know when you have enough community awareness when people you don't know are talking about your church plant. And those stories will get back to you where they go somewhere and they hear, you know, maybe they invite somebody and they, oh, I heard about you guys. When you, when you get a first touch with somebody and you're inviting them one-on-one -on -one, or one of your launch team members are inviting them one-on-one, -on -one, uh, people have already heard about you and that ha starts happening more and more then you know you're starting to saturate the community and get better community awareness. The other thing is community outreach. I went to a domestic violence shelter roundtable, a faith-based response to domestic violence, and there was a reporter there. I didn't know. I just wanted to help in the community, but there was a reporter there, and she happened to quote me twice, and I got in the, we got in the newspaper. All, all sorts of people heard about us, that, and that was before we ever advertised. So what are you doing in the community? Um, and you do it because Jesus said to do it, but there is a side result, and that side result is that the side effect is that um, people will hear about you, and uh, it'll build credibility. So marketing and community outreach in a nutshell, and the way you know is um, are people talking, and what are they saying?
Yeah, and, and if you're not hearing that, that's a good sign that maybe you need to back off. Maybe you need to wait because the reality is, I mean, just the raw reality, if people in the community don't know you're there, they're not going to come. Absolutely they're, not. They're, they're not going to show up if they, they're not aware you're there. So that community awareness is critical. Well, look, uh, look. in closing, let's do this. I, I want you, Adam, if you will, to give our listeners a final word to encourage them on their church planting journey. Based upon where you are and where you've come from, what would you say to those who are listening today? I would just reiterate the words of, of Hebrew 12 that uh, let us run with endurance, the race God has set before us, and that endurance is a key word there, perseverance. Uh have a plaque um, that my sister gave me, and it says, faith makes all things possible, not easy. And I would just encourage people to endure, persevere, and remember that uh, it, it takes faith, and that makes it possible. But it's not always going to be easy, but they, they can't they can overcome in Christ. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Adam, for taking your time and sharing from your experience. Uh, Our prayer is that what God has done in your life and your ministry is going to be a blessing to others who are encouraged by your testimony today. And listeners, for more ideas and encouragement, we want to encourage you to listen to some of the other recordings in this series also. Uh, Hopefully they will all be helpful to you. For our audio conference ministry, I'm Bobby Gilstrap. We want to thank you for joining us today. Hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Audio Conference for Pastors. Listen to future episodes by visiting audioconferenceforpastors.com or by subscribing on iTunes. An archive of past episodes is also available. Join us next time as we continue to develop leaders to their God-given capacity on the Audio Conference for Pastors.